Today's uh, scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 22 to 37. Again, so that's Matthew, chapter 12, verses 22 to 37. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. By the blasphemy against, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. This is the word of God. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here, worship with you, and now share the word with you. Let's start with a prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And Lord, we come to you now asking that you will give us your spirit, the joy of your salvation, and uphold us so that we can hear clearly your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you say that you're relatively happy or unhappy? Would you say that you're relatively happy or unhappy? 
Uh, is that the right question? Is that even the right question to ask? And why does it seem that so many people are, are unhappy? Why does it seem like so many people are so unhappy? All you have to do is turn on the news. Do you think that we live in the greatest country in the world right now? If so, why? And if not, why not? And how do you think the rest of the world sees the United States? This is according to the United Nations research of 2019. Uh, currently, there are 48.2 million immigrants meaning there are 48.2 million foreign-born people in the United States. That's the most in the world of any country. Second place is Russia with 11.6 million. Look at the vast disparity between the United States with 48.2 million immigrants, people foreign-born living here, and Russia with 11.6 Number third is Saudi Arabia with 10.8. No country has ever topped the United States year after year in immigration. And I've heard people actually comment on how great the Scandinavian countries are recently. But looking at the data, no one's moving there. They're moving here. Canada has 7.6 million immigrants, which is six to seven times less than that of the US. If anything, people from Canada are moving down here. I guess they're tired of the loonies and toonies. If you don't know, that's their currency, so I'm not making fun of them. They call their currency loonies and toonies. Canada. Um, ha in the happiness index, uh, happiness index by the UN is measured by a lot of things. There's a lot of factors in the happiness index. One is GDP per capita, social support, health, life expectancy, freedom to make life choices, generosity, perceptions on corruption and dystopia. Uh, and the happiness factor though, the United States is at 19th place, 19th place. And it's just right, we just barely beat the Czech Republic. If you want to start a new life, if you want to start a business, of the countries that you could go to, if you weren't doing well in your own country, you would go to the United States. Um, I would say there's this one index that I saw. It's called the Open for Business Index. That means how easily you could start a business or start a company or get a job and things like that. The so United States has an index of 48, which is the highest. Give you, I'm going to compare it to Switzerland, one of the countries that people like so much. Open for business index for Switzerland is two. It's two. United States is 48. Jan Bruce of Forbes magazine, she wrote that in May of this year, 40% more people reported high levels of anxiety this past year in 2018, on top of a 36% jump in 2017. Anger and associated behaviors, 
anger-associated behaviors are skyrocketing in the workplace too. 62% of workers report being impacted by incivility at work at least once a month. And 75% of employees in the United States say that they've been affected by bullying. That means 2 million American workers per year report being victims of workplace violence. After she wrote the whole article, it goes on to the end, and I'm going to summarize it for you. Uh, the answer to all this is be nicer to each other. <laughs> Just be nicer to each other, guys. What's up? But you keep on thinking about it and looking, looking at the climate that is happening in our country today. I pose this question. What if half the population, half the population, roughly half, thinks that we're being invaded by Muslims? And the other half of the population thinks that we're in being invaded by Nazis. How can you be nice to each other? And aren't you angry? Especially if you get angry often, the question is, aren't you angry often? Because you don't have the answers. You get angry often because you don't have the answers. Or perhaps you think you have the answers, it's just that no one is listening. And the stress and anxiety and even anger piles on. You know, after I saw that article, I thought I'd click on some related links on how to relieve anxiety and stress because that answer was kind of lame, just be nicer to each other. And so I clicked on these links and I kid you not, one click away, two clicks away, both of them, it was for pills. How do I relieve anxiety and stress? Take some pills. I've spoken with people who do take pills and have been on pills that use them for anxiety and depression because their doctor had recommended it to them. And they tell me that the pills numb the emotional pain of depression, but they still know that they're depressed. They still know that they're depressed, but it numbs that pain. So I, I asked them, so it's like if you had a rusty nail that was going through your leg and all you're getting is a pill to numb the pain? And the typical response I've gotten was simply, yeah, that's about right. Because the only time you really want to get numbed is either right before a procedure or if you're suffering from a chronic debilitating disorder. And if you think you are suffering from the latter, then you're basically admitting there is no cure. Right? Some things to munch on. Pre-Jesus and post-Jesus, there were and are things we cannot cure. Yes, even Christians post-Jesus, through plague, Christians couldn't always cure it. Even though what they did was remarkable, and I wanted to make that side note, they would stay by and tend to the sick with great risk to themselves, often contracting the disease to themselves. And the first civilian hospitals were built by Christians. Before there were hospitals, but they were for soldiers, but they were to administer triage in times of battle. 
So they were for soldiers who would get wounded in battle, and there would be places or centers like that, hospitals like that. But for civilian hospitals, Christians would be the first ones to create that. But pre-Jesus, post-Jesus, there are things that we cannot cure. However, however, Jesus never had a disease, sickness, demon possession, any malady that he could not heal. Throughout history, there was never a time when someone was able to have the cure and answers for, well, everything, everything. In the passage today, it starts off by saying, then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. This guy had it all. Of all the maladies, he was demon-oppressed, he was blind, he was mute, and he was brought to Jesus. And we don't know exactly how he did it, but Jesus just healed him. And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And when the people, they were just utterly amazed that something like this could possibly happen because this had never happened before. It was the Pharisees who would jump in while the people were still utterly amazed and in wonder. Like, how is this possible? The Pharisees would jump in when the people were still trying to make sense of this, make sense of what's going on. Could this be the son of David? You know, why would they even have to wonder? You know, if someone was doing all these things that I just shared with you and you just read in the Word, what is there to wonder about? Excuse me. Isn't it because the Messiah in front of them is completely different from the Messiah that they expected? You would think, you know, the Messiah here today would be of this political affiliation. And yet, in his group of people following him, there was a zealot. There was a tax collector. These two were mortal enemies of each other, yet both of them were in Jesus' party. The zealot who would want a violent overthrow of the government. The tax collector who would compromise all their morals just so that they can get by in the world. Throwing their own people under the bus. Both were in Jesus' party. So they were confused. But... All the signs and proofs that point to Jesus being the Messiah is here. It's there. It's right there. And that's why people are saying, I'm confused. I'm confused. And in their confusion, it's the Pharisees that say it's by the power of Beelzebul that Jesus is able to do this. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he goes to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, therefore they will be your judges. Jesus knew their thoughts and gives them a lesson in plain logic. You know how to take down the biggest and strongest economic and military force in the world? D 
Do you know how to take down the greatest country in the world? China can't take it down. It's too weak. Russia can't take it down. It's too weak. But let there be internal strife. Destroy their unity. And they'll destroy themselves. Pause for effect. If Jesus was the ruler of demons fighting other demons, how would that make any sense? Wouldn't you think that that kingdom where they're fighting each other would come to an end? Uh-huh. Also, wouldn't your sons or followers, how would they cast out demons? By what power has your followers been casting out demons? Would they agree with you on this assessment that you're making? Or would they emphatically say, there's no way you can cast out a demon and be a demon? There's no way. How can one be so delirious as to think something so illogical and so unreasonable? Well, in the passage right before this one, it was the Pharisees who rejected Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath thereby forfeiting their Sabbath rest. What happens when you don't get the rest you need? For a little while, what happens when you don't get that rest? How about the longer you go without rest? How about three days without sleeping? Delirium? Death? Jesus continues, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how, come, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. And if we progress through this reasoning and logic, which the Pharisees, as smart and as well-educated as they should have been, they should have seen that it is only by the power of God that Jesus is able to do this. Who's stronger? Who's stronger, a man or a demon? Who gets overpowered when they get into a tussle? But if you beat or bind this demon, how strong are you? The better question is, who are you if you can beat or bind this demon? Who are you to be able to do this? Then Jesus says something even more intriguing. In verse 30, he says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Regarding some issues, neutrality may be possible, and even may be wise. You could either be, let's say, a Democrat or Republican, or you could even refuse to go on endorsing a two-party system, whatever. And if you did, I would be like, hmm, that's interesting, tell me more. But the higher the truth, the less neutral you can be. Does that make sense? The higher the truth, the less neutral you can be. Hey, your total cholesterol level is at 300. Stop eating pizza and burgers. I get that your insta-fame depends on you taking pics of these foods. Just stop eating it. If someone told that to you, you would think, maybe I should stop eating these pizzas and burgers. The higher the truth, the less neutral you can be. 
There is no such thing as neutrality with Jesus. And by saying this, he is effectively claiming that he is the highest truth. In fact, that he is the truth. A claim that may seem audacious in the very least, but he continues on in verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this, day, in this age or in the age to come. So is blasphemy against Jesus forgivable, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable? What does that mean? And how is this correlated? Because isn't the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit just one God? And isn't the Holy Spirit's testimony of Christ's lordship? Yes, I would say yes. If you're following along, yes. But Christ was spoken out against, even more than that. He was beaten, he was marred, and he was crucified for our sins. So he was spoken out against for our sake. But it is the Holy Spirit that testifies of Christ's work, and we must not reject that. Instead, we are to receive it as the highest truth. And if you look at this in context, we see that it was by the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit that Jesus casted out demons. And if you knew this and still rejected the Spirit's claim that Jesus is the Son of David, the Messiah, then you would be committing the unforgivable sins. Many commentators would look at this and see this referring to apostasy. Apostasy, when it's used in the Bible, just means uh, the willful uh, defection or departure from the Christian faith. So many commentators will look at this and say, that is actually what apostasy is. When you hear through the Holy Spirit that Jesus is God and you reject that, that is the unforgivable sin. And this is why we have to watch out. We must be on alert. You know, I don't have to come up here and start dancing and screaming, telling jokes. Even if I were to talk in a lull, in a low voice, what kind of attitude would we come to listen to the Word of God? Are we on the edge of our seats? Are our minds and spirits engaged to listen? Or are we in the danger of committing apostasy? It's in Hebrews 3 that we are reminded for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it, was it not all who left Egypt led by Moses, and with whom he provoked, whom was he provoked for the 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to reject the Spirit's claim as Christ 
as Lord and Messiah. Then I would think if one, if one is struggling with this understanding, you would step down from your church position and quietly submit yourself to the church's leadership and discipline and humble yourself. But that's not what we normally see. That is not what we normally see. This past week, one songwriter for, for, for a famous Christian artist group wrote on his Insta, and this is his words, I quote, I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. This is a guy who wrote a lot of the songs that we even sang here in the past. He continues, why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love, yet send four billion people to a place all cause they don't believe? No one talks about it. Gospel preaching churches literally talk about this every single week. Every single week. So the question is, how do you know? How do you know? Doesn't it seem that these days people are taking to Instagram and their social media to renounce their faith or reject their faith to commit apostasy? So how do you know that all these people, it seems like they're all slipping through the cracks. How do you know if they're, slip, if they're even really one of us or not? And Jesus continues in verse 33. How do you know if you're one of Jesus' disciples or not? How do you know? Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak or put on Instagram. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. How do you know? You know by their fruit what comes out of them. What do they say? Are they words of thanksgiving and adoration and praise to God? Or are they words filled with rumor-mongering, tearing down their neighbor, thereby rejecting Christ's lordship? How do you know? You know by what they say, by their fruit. What kind of words come out from their mouths? Are they words of thanksgiving? Adoration and praise to God? Or are they words filled with rumor mongering, anger, tearing down their neighbor, thereby rejecting Christ's lordship? So there are two kinds of people that are shown in this passage. One kind of person is the one that asked, Could this be the son of David? And the others were the ones that would utter blasphemy by saying, He is the prince of demons, right? Ultimately, Jesus is showing that it isn't him who's being assessed. Everybody comes here to judge Jesus. Let's see if Jesus is Lord or not. But he isn't the one that's being assessed, but it's the ones that are talking about him that's being assessed. 
who is speaking truth and who is speaking lies about Jesus. And when he calls them a brood of vipers, it would bring us all the way back to Matthew chapter 3 when John the Baptist would also say, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And this is the important part. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is a time to repent. My brothers and my sisters, this is evident throughout Scripture. There is a season And after the season, there is a hardening. And if I didn't love you, if I didn't love you, I would lie and say, take your time. It's all good. Take your time. Sleep right now. Take rest. Close your eyes. Let let slumber come upon you. It's all good. In the meantime, let's just have fun together. Let's just have fun together. If I didn't love you, I would say that. But this is never the case. Never the case. Because this kind of fun never lasts. But if I loved you, I would say, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Repent by hating the sin that has so easily entangled you. Stop giving in so easily to the emotions produced by sinful thoughts. Yearn and desperately cry out for sanctification so that you can return to God. Of the two parties, when I asked who is speaking the truth, who was? The ones who wondered, is this the Son of God? Or the ones who said, this is the prince of demons? Who's speaking the truth? Nobody is speaking the truth. None of the parties were us. It was Christ's sinless life that he gives to us, meaning it was Christ in this passage that was speaking the truth and only he was speaking the truth and it's this truth and this sinless life that now he gives to us by faith through his death and resurrection we can with a contrite heart come to Jesus turning away from sin and living a life producing fruit in keeping with repentance seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near. This is the life that we have been called to. And if we're listening to the word, if we're listening to Jesus' words, then we see that this is impossible to do on our own. We are prone to sin. We are prone to slumber when we should be in all urgency awake and our spirit should be on the edge 
Even in the Bible, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And yet what we take is, you know what? Perfect love casts out all fear and take that verse completely out of context and just do whatever we want. And why would then we be surprised if we are to go up to Jesus and Jesus goes, I never knew you. But Jesus, you're God. I know this. Jesus is God. I can recite the Apostles' Creed. I went to church, paid tithe. I can do all these things. I can even say the Lord's Prayer, our Father, Lord in heaven, blah, blah, blah. And then I could go down. What if Jesus goes, I never knew you? How do you know you are in the discipleship of Jesus Christ? How do you know this? Jesus tells us, produce fruit in keeping with Repentance. If your life is not a life that is producing fruit in keeping with repentance, then you must repent of your repentance. Repent of the false repentance that you've had. And repent by turning to his word and seeing that it is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit now who's showing you to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Lift up your heart to God and say, God, I need you to do work in this heart. It's not good alone. I continue to fail. There is no answer. And all I can do is rage. All I can do is get upset. All I do is get sad. All I do is just get angry and start blaming other things, you know? Pastor Eugene, what's up? You know, why are you, why are you doing stuff like that? Or this person here, my mom or my dad or my sister or my brother or my friend, whoever it is, it's that person's fault. It's the government's fault. It's everything's fault. Never while saying, actually, my heart is wretched and I need God to change my heart. There was a time when even the great David sinned and this sin would affect generations to come. But when he was given this opportunity to seek the Lord while he may be found, he fell on his face and he fasted. He was still punished, but what he wrote was Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. He knew that he could not withstand the temptations, the, thing, the, the currents of the world. He knew that the only way that he can be changed is by the Spirit of God. And so he cried out to God, and he wrote Psalm 51. And this should be the cry of our heart. You know how you produce fruit? You cry out to God, oh God, change my heart and give me the joy of your salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we know that the world will continue to try and deceive us, to think that we don't have to take this with urgency. We can continue to stumble and struggle and just be like, I'm trying, God, and that's, that's all that matters. But we know that's a lie. We know that what you give us in your word is this urgent call to repent. And so we want to take that word faithfully and honestly, and we want to lift up our hearts to you now. Oh God, create in us a clean heart. Renew in us a right spirit. For Lord God, we are prone to wander and sin and hurt and hate and be angry and destroy and to kill and to murder. 
So we repent of our thoughts and our deeds. We come to you asking that you would change our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let's take this time to pray. And where is it in your life that you do not have the joy of salvation? Then I would say, make the cry of David the psalmist your cry. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray that prayer and lift it up unto God with the promise that he hears those who cry out to him. He will abundantly pardon. Let's pray.